I only wish I had your eloquence. Even though we talk pretty much daily, I still can't wait to hear what you have to say. G'day guys and welcome to this, the first of my GM journals. First of all, I guess I'm going to have to start with an apology. You see, I stated in my original intro episode that I would not be talking about my work. And it turns out that I will be, as one of the main reasons I'm doing this gaming journal is for my work. So I guess I misled you guys a bit. Truth is, I really think I misled myself. You see, RPGs are such a big component of my work, I don't think I'll ever be able to separate the two. But enough about that. This journal is for my GM brain and exploring campaign development. So while this campaign world I'm working on is for work, I will be playtesting it with friends of mine, so it still technically counts, right? When I sat down and put some of the basics on paper, I began with asking myself some questions. The first that came to mind and dominated my thoughts for a good couple of hours was, what do I want out of this campaign? This question in the end struck me as a breakthrough, as usually ask, what do my players want? This question is the result of something I've been struggling with, you see, and I find quite difficult to admit. I find I'm losing my desire to GM. Not because I don't like being a GM, and not because I wish I could just be playing. Although it'd be nice to be a player, I'm always the damn GM. But the problem is not GMing. The problem is constantly walking over well-explored territory. For the most part, my participants only want to play D&D-style fantasy games. I am well and truly over vanilla fantasy. I kind of feel like I'm locked back in the 80s, but without the wonder and excitement I felt when I first started playing these games. For almost two and a half years now, apart from a small break with East Texas University, which is a Savage World setting which can be best described as Archie, Betty and Veronica, oh, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer go to university, and Rippers, another Savage World setting about monster hunting and using their body parts as organic cyberware set in the 19th century England, I've been GMing a minimum of two to three sessions a week of Vanilla Fantasy. As I can't just abandon fantasy, I must find new ways to make the genre interesting for me as well as engaging and appropriate for my guys. So I started looking at other themes that I thought could spice up the game enough for me, while still keeping fantasy as the main focus. I kept coming back to a game that I loved to GM back in the 90s, but have not had a chance to play in a very long time, and that's Dark Conspiracy. Dark Conspiracy is a game set in the not-too-distant future. The divisions between the haves and the have-nots is wider than ever, the planet is knackered, and false news, spin-doctoring, and cover-ups are the general mode of operation. What's worse, a dark alien force is trying to enter our dimension, and their agents are doing everything possible to facilitate this by infiltrating our governments, major corporations, etc. The influence of these dark beings has allowed different types of creatures and monsters to enter our world, spreading death, destruction, and demon ground across our planet. Player characters become aware of this real evil in the world and become minion hunters. Now, this is a very simplistic version of the setting, but you get the idea. A dystopian future, a la Blade Runner, cyberpunk, but not quite as technically advanced, with a Conspiracy X horror main theme. Now, I don't want to overlay the dark conspiracy over the top of my fantasy setting. For one, horror is not something that is conducive to the space I work in. That is not to say that some of my older groups don't like to play horror games. We did do ETU and Rippers, after all. However, the thought of an otherworldly force trying to take over a fantasy world via subterfuge does have some appeal to me. Sure, it's hardly a new concept, but it gives me something to play with in the background that will keep me entertained. For my older players, they're happy to play games with these themes, and my younger players can play in the same world without ever really encountering the great conspiracy. 
So as of this moment, I have a theme for the background of my campaign world, and I can scale this up or down to suit the players. And I have something to be interested in. Huzzah! A win! I even have ideas on how this nefarious threat from the void will work, but I will discuss that in a future journal. Feel free to provide any suggestions or thoughts on this, however. One thing this line of thinking has already given me, though, is my secret organization of human allies to the Void Lords, the darkly named Ravens. Ever since I discovered that a group of Ravens can be known as an unkindness or a conspiracy, I've always wanted them as a secret organization of one of my campaigns. There's even more appeal knowing that Ravens get used to carry messages in any number of fantasy novels that I've read. How this organization will interact with the players is another key to keeping me invested in the campaign and allows me another tool to scale the campaign to an appropriate level for the players. Yeah boy, win two. So now that things are starting to fall into place, I guess I'd better explain the two other new things I'm using for this campaign. A new rule system and a new campaign manager platform. The rule system I'm using for this campaign setting is Fantasy Age by Green Ronin Games. For those of you who have not heard of this rule set before, the Age in Fantasy Age stands for Adventure Game Engine, and it was originally designed for the Dragon Age RPG based on the video game of the same name. Fantasy Age is a generic toolkit, although it has been used by Will Wheaton to create his Titan Grave setting and the remake of Green Ronin's romantic fantasy setting, Blue Rose. The Age rule set has been further adapted to create Modern Age, surprise surprise, a generic toolkit for modern based games which has been used to create Threefold, a setting which is a mashup of realms that merge fantasy and sci-fi together, the world of Lazarus, based on the image comic graphic novels by Greg Rucker and Michael Lark, and The Expanse, based on the novels by James S.A. Corey, which I'm not only very eager to play, but I can't wait to watch the upcoming fourth season on Amazon Prime. So those of you that know me know that I've played Savage Worlds for quite a long time, so you're probably asking, why the hell did I move to Fantasy Age? Well, the reason I moved is because it provided a few things I felt I needed for my work games that Savage Worlds currently doesn't allow me to do. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still a huge fan of Savage Worlds, but not only does the age system have many similarities to Savage Worlds, it has a couple of things already built in that I was looking for. And they are, number one, a clear leveling system and better character progression. Savage World characters come out of the gate very capable. If I was to use D&D as a gauge to explain this, I would say that PCs in Savage Worlds start at roughly about level 5 in capacity. Don't take this as an exact conversion, however. Treat it more like an educated metaphor. As Savage Worlds characters level up, the increase is a slow burn compared to D&D. The payoff for leveling is just not as impressive as what you see in games like D&D. Now, for the record, I'm not bagging out Savage Worlds in any way by saying this. Savage Worlds is very good at what it does, and I love playing it. At work, however, I have seen players feel not only a little deflated when leveling, but I saw them pick options for their characters that did not fit the theme or style of the characters because they felt they had run out of options to choose that did fit. I actually don't agree with that sentiment exactly, but I see how the guys came to this conclusion. Fantasy Age has clear rewards for leveling, and characters feel more capable every time they level. The choices available also make sense to the class, which brings me to... Number 2. Set Classes Savage Worlds does not have set classes. You can make almost any kind of character you can think of, which is fantastic for me and for most people that play role-playing games, but for people that struggle with making decisions or suffer from like real analysis paralysis or require set structures like many people on the autism spectrum, it's not very conducive. Part of my job is to help these people develop the skills to deal with decision-making and coping without structure. But man, not at first level. We have to give them some time and some time to develop. I need to be able to ease them in, help them develop at a pace they can cope with. 
Fantasy Age is awesome for that. First, there are only three classes to choose from. Mage, Rogue, and Warrior. Now, it's about this time that many role players, if they were taking a drink right now, would be spitting it across the room and staring at their podcast playing device and yelling, Only three classes? Where are the bards, clerics, monks, rangers, druids, etc, etc? What about multi-classes? Well, wipe that drink off the wall and relax. All these class types are possible in Fantasy Age, but they all stem from one of these three core classes. From levels 1 to 3, the PC is generic, for want of a better term. However, the choices made at creation, and over the next two levels regarding focuses, weapon groups, and talents, means that these characters can still be very different even within the core class chosen. At level 4, and then again at level 12, the players pick a specialization for the character, and it is at this point that the characters really begin to become superstars of variety and diversity. At level 4, and then again at level 12, is when you get to pick things like Assassin, Sword Mage, Bard, Knight, Elementalist, and a slew of other choices. Fantasy Age has managed to provide the framework for leveling I need, but still allows players freedom to make those unique characters. Number 3. Only D6s. Now, this is not going to be everyone's cup of tea, and for me, I look at all my cool dice sets that I've been collecting over the years and lament them collecting dust. But for many of my participants, the different die types, not to mention the D6 wild die for trait rolls, but not for damage rolls, although you get a bonus for D6 damage if you get a raise, well, let's just say a bit of a challenge for several of my players. Only using D6s in the age system seems to be far more intuitive for many of my guys, and even with the stunt system I'm about to talk about, dice rolls and turns have been a hell of a lot faster. Number 4. Helping players roleplay and making combat more interesting. So the age system has a stunt mechanic that is fantastic for players that struggle with roleplaying. Whenever anyone needs to make an ability check in age, the player rolls 3D6s, adds that number to the at relevant attribute, and adds two if they have a focus that works, giving you the final number that you use to measure up against the target number. Now, of the three dice that you roll, one of those dice must be distinguishable from the other two. Best way to do this, of course, is to have two dice that are the same color, with the stunt die being a different color. If the roll comes up with at least two dice coming up with the same number, it doesn't have to be on the stunt die, as long as two dice in any of that three have doubles. The result of the stunt die shows the amount of stun points that you can spend on that action. In combat, you check the combat stunt chart and spend those points to do cool things like more damage, make armor less effective, knock the target prone, move your character and or the target in different directions, change your place in the initiative order, and a number of other cool things. There's also a stunt chart for searching, spells, and role-playing based attribute checks, all designed to add flair and variety to the achieved check. Even without doubles, the game advises the player to use the stunt die as a guide to see how well a task was completed or failed. Succeeded, but the stunt die comes up with a low number, role-play it like you just succeeded at the task and were very lucky to get away with it. Get a high number on the stunt die, role-play it like you did it with ease and flair and a touch of je ne sais quoi. Fantasy Age is by no means a deep system, but it is intuitive, adaptive, and does exactly what I need in a rule set. So with my new look at the fantasy genre, and a new system, it was time to give my campaign a name. And the name I came up with, The Dark Age of Dormandia. While the world of Dormandia is not new to me, it's a campaign world that I've been kicking around in my brain for a long time now, and it has had a number of facelifts as I've used it in various different projects, trying to find its reality, for want of a better term. In this respect, it's never been, I don't know, properly defined. And one of the goals of this journal and this campaign is to really bring this place to life. I'll discuss the world in future journal entries, especially as developing it will come over many stages. This, however, is a great place to tell you about the next thing I'm using for this project, 
the new campaign management platform, Scabbard. So Scabbard is an online campaign management platform, uh, web-based, very similar to the Obsidian Portal, which I've been using for a number of years now. And while I really like Obsidian Portal and many of its features, I've always found it a little clunky to use. I was told about Scabbard on the Age Discord channel, so I decided to give it a go. It has a lot of stuff already like on it, but I have to admit I'm still learning how to use it effectively. I will discuss Scabbard in further detail at a later date, but I bring it up now as I will make elements of this campaign public via Scabbard. So starting with my next journal entry, you will be able to follow along. All the player information will be put on Scabbard as the campaign develops, and hopefully that will give you a bit of not only extra insight into the journal, but maybe make you feel a bit more involved and attached to the project. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm looking for your feedback on that. Now, before I sign off, I'm going to leave you with one more thing that's on my mind regarding magic in this system. So I haven't decided whether I'm going to make it just for humans only, but there's a series of books called Codex Alera, Codex Alera, which I absolutely love. It's by Jim Butcher. And the premise for magic in that is that instead of magic being an innate ability within someone, the individual actually captures or pairs with a elemental in the books. They're called Furies, but essentially that's what they are. So it's attached to air, wind, fire, water, wood, steel, or metal, metal yeah not steel metal and from that the everyone in this world at least all the alarans have the ability to do supernatural things via these elementals so if you have an air fury you can fly you can go fast you can warp the air so you can see like you've got uh, binoculars or a telescope something like that Uh, If you have woodcrafting, you can bend back these amazingly large bows uh, and alter wood to to your will. It also allows you to um, pass very quickly through woodlands, etc., etc. If you have a fire elemental, it doesn't allow you to throw fire as such, but you can manipulate existing fire. You can also affect people's emotions. If you're a water crafter or you have a water elemental, there's a big connection between empathy, feelings, and healing. An earth crafter gives strength and allows you to move earth. In fact, one of the main characters also has this dog, an earthen dog, which is pretty cool, that forms out of the ground. Brutus, he's called. And if you're a steel crafter, or I'm sorry, metal crafter, you're really cool with swords and on and on and on. So one of the things with the Fantasy Age system is that magic is rather simple a little more detailed than what you'd find in savage worlds which relied a lot on trappings but it's not a huge magic system like dungeons and dragons maybe possibly its weakest part is the magic system in fantasy age i just doesn't seem to have enough things in there for me, but because it's a toolkit, it's very easily adapted, and I'm sure as this campaign progresses, I'll be creating spells and stuff like that. My guys... A lot of my guys at work love Nintendo. I'm convinced they put crack in their products. I don't know how how they do it, especially when it's like Mario Party 50 jillion and and Mario Kart 73,000 and they just release this. They seem to just release the same games over and over again. And while they're beautiful games, they're well crafted and everyone seems to have a lot of fun. There must be crack in it. I I just don't see the appeal. But a lot of my guys they just love Nintendo and of course Pokemon, um, which just uh, as a bit of a tidbit, Pokemon was actually de- developed by a gentleman with autism. So 
a lot of our guys love Pokemon, and I've I've loved this concept of being able to provide a Pokemon element to my campaign setting, which might seem a bit, I don't know, childish on the outset if you you take it from that vein. But I think matched up with this Codex Alera setup, which again another bit of trivia for you, came about. I'm not sure how it actually started, but the basis to Codex Alera is. Someone either dared Jim Butcher or he asked for someone to throw topics at him and that he would make a book out of. And somewhere along the line, someone said Roman Legions and Pokemon and Codex Alera, uh, Codex Alera came out of it. Absolutely brilliant set of reads. I love it. So while it sounds a bit silly on the odd set, the, the books, the way they're written are, are really well done. And there's actually elements in there, a lot of elements in there that I'll be pinching to pad out this dark conspiracy side of what I'm putting into my world so none of my players read those books <laughs> anyway i'll leave you with that thank you for listening to my journal this last bit got a bit messy but i'm tired it's been a really long day i've got a huge day tomorrow and i've got to stop doing podcast and start writing some cool stuff have a great one guys i look forward to any responses to this and i'll talk to you real soon paris out uru Hello Paris, it's Jay from Roleplay Rescue, one of the two first of all, welcome you to the Anchor community and man it's great to hear that you're taking a plunge and you're going to have a go at journaling your game in and talking about some of the stuff that you said you're going to talk about which is great. Thank you also for the shout out for my show, it's fantastic to um, always hear someone else is enjoying what I do and I want to thank you for coming on my show, which, of course, is in the future from when you put your first episode out. But there we go. On the subject of Game Manager, I just wanted to say that one of the reasons I adopted the Master, and it's Dungeon Master for me at the moment, but Game Master generally, it's an aspiration to master my game. And so I guess I'm looking forward rather than claiming anything about myself because I'm certainly no master. But anyway, thank you for your thoughts. It was great to hear your voice. Game on! Hi Paris, really enjoyed your introductory episode. A tantalising mention of Star Frontiers there as well, which, to my mind, doesn't get enough credit. Played it as a kid, loved it, and quite a hankering to play it again sometime. Anyway, I look forward to hearing what you do, and hopefully your first full-blown episode isn't too far away. Take care, I'll catch you later. Hello Paris, it's great to have another voice on Anchor. I look forward to your next podcast. This is Jeff from the Tome of All Dooms, an infrequent podcast now. I'm trying to get more frequent. So I just wanted to say that I too uh, am in a similar boat as you. I've been jamming for 30 plus years and I still lament uh, the missed opportunities at my table. Uh, I don't consider myself a super great game master, but my players seem to like the games that I run. So, I really do look forward to hearing about you reclaiming your hobby, and other thoughts that you have on GMing. So, looking forward to the next episode. Keep it up!